We're all about food here, but every now and then we need to focus on landscape and design, and that's what we're doing today. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of May 1st, 2014. Happy May Day! Happy May Day! It's actually pretty cold May Day to start out with. It's sort of hard to believe. A little chilly this morning. I had to put on a long sleeve shirt to go out and take care of the chickens. That's right, but... I'm not complaining because summer will get here way too soon. (laughs) Um, You're right in uh, your first statement about the fact that we are learning more about landscaping and in particular the plantings around the lodge because that's the most recent structure. We didn't really have anything except some turf planted up there. Um, I've begun just anytime I receive a plant putting it in the ground up there. And that's where our visitors tend to come. Um, right. We want it to look nice. But and we'll talk about some other reasons for our uh, making a plan as far as the lodge goes. But I, I always remember what our um, interview with Hayes Jackson revealed that, and I've heard other many other people in the Master Gardener world say this, that it's all about finding the right plant for the right place. So that's why we're taking our time to do it right. And it makes sense, and it just makes things so much easier if you can find that right plant for the right uh, place, and and that's what we're striving to do. Yes. Um, I guess for us, we always have to start with erosion control. Having, as we do, this sandy loam, it means that any time we disturb the soil, we have to be conscious of what we're doing to increase the likelihood of erosion. And considering what we've been through the past couple of weeks with rain, we are top of mind right now. We're thinking about the effect that rainfall has when we don't have a good anchor in the soil. So let's talk about the landscape plan. We have to start with our goals. You just yeah, mentioned one. Yeah, you have one. drilled that into me. You always start with what it is you want to accomplish. And you just mentioned one of them, to control erosion. But what else do we want to do up there in the lodge area? Well, we want to have uh, a setting that is comfortable for our guests and for us. We want it to be pleasant. That's right. We, part of our gift is hospitality and we would like to uh, convey that through our landscape. And it's interesting that there are so many design principles that tell us ways to invite someone into a landscape to make someone feel welcome. Or you might want to create a different kind of mood and help that person feel restful. But it's, it's all about the mood. And then, of course, a little bonus might be to make it edible for humans. We'll talk more about that later. And I would say, we, in contrast to some of our friends who enjoy puttering about in their garden and checking on their orchids and so forth, this is not the main thing we're focused on. So it needs to not require a great deal of time from either one of us to maintain. Yes, that's true, considering there are only the two of us to work on it right now. But I, I will say I enjoy puttering around in my garden. What, whatever I'm growing, I enjoy that. But... I realize that if, if I'm the only one working on it, then it, yeah, I have other things I want to do with my life as well, like go see my grandchildren and go back to Europe and work at church and, uh, and like raise food and raise food. So 
we're talking about the need for a plan and one thing I think we both agreed on, it's okay for it to be flexible. It's a work in progress. It will develop over time. <clears throat> there are all kinds of changes that might come down the pike that we have to be ready for. For example, environmental changes. <clears throat> we know that, for example, with climate change, that is introducing a whole new set of criteria for what is going to make for um, a healthy plant, for other invasive plants that come along, how we combat those. So, we need to be able to adapt to those changes as well as possible. And I, the other thing I've noticed is a lot of your landscape plantings are driven by what plants your friends have given you. Well, I'll talk about how I plan to address that and why that actually is not a bad thing. So oh, I don't, I'm not complaining about no, it. No, but, but we'll talk about that because I think that the reason it's not a bad thing, I'll just go ahead and say, is that plants that people give you um, Felder rushing refers to that as pass-along plants. Um, they are typically already adapted to your region. In many cases, they're heirloom varieties that have survived for uh, centuries, in some cases, in our area. So, And they come with a pretty clear certainty about what kind of plant they want to oh, be. Oh, yes, especially since many of mine come from master gardeners. They are identified, so that's good. Um, and, you know, they're constantly, another reason to be flexible, there are constantly new cultivars coming out and being developed that are adapted to an area or that have other benefits. Um, so, or, or that we just get additional information about cultivars that are already out there that help us decide whether it's the right one to plant. Our lifestyle can change. I mentioned that, oh, I'd like to go back to Europe or I'd, I want to be able to see the grandchildren in California. I'd like to be able to um, take on another project if I need to. <clears throat> My lifestyle could get to the point that I don't have as much time even as I do now to maintain. Or I might decide that I just want to delve in with both feet and just develop the most lush garden in the world and spend all my time on that aside from on food. So we just need to decide as time goes on, what works best for us. So, and uh, as getting to that, let's talk about the stages we go through. We talked about the plan being flexible. So I'd like to think in stages. And I would say installed, we install this garden or these plantings over uh, a lifetime. Well, you know, the older I get, I don't know how much lifetime's left. <laughs> so I'll just say over a large number of seasons. And of course, the season for planting varies with what type of plant we're talking about. Um, but when I come up with a, an overall sketched plan, I got to be able to learn to live with the gaps. That is, the plan may have the, the plants filled in or hardscape or whatever is going to go there, but I've got to be willing to live with the gaps in the actual landscape until we have the chance to fill in with the ideal plant for that location or accessory or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, and... As you do that, I know you're already thinking about having plants that perform more than one function. That's right. That is, if you've got a plant that um, produces food, for example, you may also want it to be a plant that's pretty, at least for a couple of seasons out of the year. And I think that let's kind of reverse that reasoning that um, a person who's primarily a landscape designer would say, okay... You want to think about the form, the texture, the line, the colors that will work well aesthetically out in your landscape. <clears throat> but at the same time, there they could be edible landscape plants. I went to a workshop just about 
four to six weeks ago that was, um, can't remember the exact date, but it was on edible, the edible landscape. And we learned that, uh, for example, blueberries, which could be, um, they're beautiful plants and can hold the soil, perform these other functions. They are, they have colors for all seasons. They turn a beautiful shade in the fall, in the, in the warm color family. And of course you get the beautiful blue, cool colored, um, family, uh, in the springtime and during, uh, the season that they're producing. Apples have beautiful blooms. I've already planted some herbs out front for their beauty, their fragrance, and their uh, edible functionality. And of course, let's not forget about pollinators. We There are all kinds of beautiful plants that can serve as habitat for um, beneficial insects and attractants for pollinators. So we've talked about how important it is to start with a plan and not just plant things willy-nilly. Yet here we are having planted many things, but we don't yet have a plan. So what's wrong with this picture, Farmer Board? Okay. Well, there's a method to my madness. We, I decided, this is following one uh, permaculture principle, that I want to live in or inhabit this land for a while before I decide what to do with it or where plantings should go, where a hardscape should go, etc., you just want to get a, you know, I'm not quite as new agey as some who might say that the land would talk to me, but I do learn something every day that I walk out there in that landscape to see, okay, this is where the water wants to go. This is where our footpath wants to go. That's been a, a reveal right there is the, the shortest distance between the barn and the lodge is not what I originally thought it was. And, and it's where the dog runs. You can pretty much dog. see the worn path from where Adi runs <laughs> yes, back Yes, that's right. Just get a dog. If you ever wonder where the where the path needs to be, uh, they'll do it, especially if you get a runner like Adi. But seriously, and, and, and I know that we have the needs for you to be able to use your uh, mower and in some cases possibly later uh, the tractor. I don't know, but you don't want to have to constantly have um, hardscapes that you have to work around, but there's something like, for example, dwarf mondo grass that could be used to lay a, a path of some kind that would be mowable and at the same time uh, help hold the soil and make for a neater footpath. So um, that's that's one thing. But back to why I waited. It's partly, yes, figure out where I want things to be. The other is very practical reason. I am just now learning how to do a landscape drawing. I'd had a couple of classes through Master Gardener, actually a class that hit the high points of, of landscape design, but then also um, a lunch and learn, a little workshop on that here and there. But it was only this but yesterday and today that I'm learning from, well, yesterday, Carolyn Robinson, who talked to our class at Auburn. And by the way, the class I've, classes I've been taking that are more in-depth are through the Garden Club of Alabama. that They sponsor them, and they've been taught at Auburn University, which is very convenient for us. So I've been going to those, and uh, Dr. Robinson was very helpful and specific in her instructions about how to actually compose the landscape drawing and how to use it. So um, I'm just now getting the tools I need to, to come up with the plan. So when you come up with this plan and you start implementing it, uh, how on earth are we going to keep from breaking our budget? Because as you know, we don't have a lot of funds That's to spend right. on plants. That's right. Um, I've actually visited a million-dollar landscape, probably multi-million-dollar landscape 
in the past year and a half. And uh, I see how it could be if you had lots, <laughs> all the money in the world to spend. But <clears throat> um, we, we have a plan here for that, too. As you've already mentioned, many friends give them to us or when I go volunteer at a site um, and we have to um, do take you know, cut something back or it's time to dig up bulbs and divide them or what have you. Um, that's a source of free plants. And um, I'm often, I'm always grateful to have them. And they often come with a nice little set of instructions from the people who planted them in the first place. And it's been our experience that people who love gardening love almost nothing more than sharing their plants. Oh, absolutely. Yes, so, I have more. And we enjoy doing it too. So. I have more Linda Griebel plants out in the yard than most people can, can yeah. name. And it's, and it's wonderful and I'm grateful for that. Um, so, you know, that's true. And we like to, as you said, we in the past when we've had a lot more vegetables that unfortunately we don't right now, uh, hopefully that'll change. We, we've been happy to give our vegetable plants to people. So it's just part of what gardeners do. Uh, but there are also some other sources of plants that won't break the bank. Uh, local plant sales. And as a matter of fact, um, our group, Central Alabama Master Gardeners, is having a plant sale from 7, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. at um, Trinity Episcopal Church in Wetumpka, right out front. <clears throat> so um, if you're anywhere within the uh, shouting distance of Wetumpka, Alabama. Come on over in May third. And those plants will be have they will have been grown by master gardeners mm -hmm. and will be well labeled and you will know exactly what you are getting and they will be priced pretty advantageously. Exactly, that's the so. beauty of plant sales that master gardener groups and garden clubs and others um, can do for you is they they are aware that they're going to price them below what you'd buy at a big box store or something like that or a garden shop and you get a, a better deal and as you said the assurance of a healthy plant. Um, we also are learning more about propagating from the plants that we already have growing here um, and that's one thing that people like Linda Griebel and Jane McCarthy in particular have inspired me to try is, is they love propagating plants and they'll tell you how to do it and share that knowledge. So um, you know, I'm getting bolder about that, and that saves money. Also, another thing I'm not afraid to do is dig up a plant and move it. Um, I've had to do that on site a couple of places I've volunteered. Now, I'm not talking about a pine tree with a taproot that goes down forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's not moving. But I'm thinking, you know, a knockout rose that's been in the ground for a couple of years, and ah, what I don't want it there. Let's move it. And I'm not saying that's an easy task, but nor do we have to do it in one day. You and I can get our shovels out and get the things moved. Um, and, and that's one reason when you said, well, people have been giving you plants already and you're putting them in the ground. Yes, I'm keeping them alive. Those places might not be their permanent home. I'm okay with that. Something else we're doing, just beginning to do now, is learn to do the grafting of plants that's necessary. We started with Japanese maples just because we had close friends who were really into that. Right. Dr. Bill Shell and Dr. and, and uh, Peggy DeArman in particular have taught us how to do this and um, and working with Rona Watson who helped take delivery of some rootstock for us for Japanese maples. We're hoping to, to actually that'll be part of the landscape too is our Japanese maples that we learn to graft ourselves. And we're branching out from that into some fruit and nut trees and learning how to do that courtesy of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System. So we're we're learning some more about grafting. We're neophytes at grafting. So uh, that's something we have a great deal to learn about. But at least we're starting. That's right. And at this stage of the game, 
this is kind of a, a final caveat I'd like to make about all of this landscape business is that uh, as with our principle, our third principle, we don't make all misstatements. I am not going to go out on a limb right now and say, well, when it comes to my landscape design or practice, the, I will never use herbicides of any kind. I might decide that 10% vinegar is the best thing since sliced bread. You know, I don't care to use Roundup or something like that or, or, or a synthetic um, herbicide, but I do think something natural like vinegar might come in handy. Um, we might do controlled burns. We might lay some landscape fabric, um, might use different kinds of turf grass. I mean, right now my goal is not to spend a lot of time with lawn, uh, you know, expanding the lawn, but we might decide that's the best thing to do. Irrigation. We don't know what form that will take, but so I'm not ready to go out on a limb on any of those kinds of things yet. And the, the final principle, I guess, is we do have to keep our perspective that the primary focus is on producing food and all of these things have to take second or third position. Yes, and I'm in agreement with you on that because low maintenance is a necessity. That's why I'm saying things like landscape fabric might start to look pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and using more trees in the landscape. That is, once you get that tree established, yes, there's a lot of care the first year. But once you get it established... You don't worry about it so much except for occasional pruning and that sort of thing. So uh, we hope that we're able to accomplish our goals, and I'm going to be learning more about it as I continue my landscape design workshop. Um, I hope that this has been a good conversation for you as well, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.